Welcome to Shit You Don't Want to Talk About. Before listening to today's episode, please be advised some content may include discussion around topics that are difficult to hear, especially for children under the age of 13. We want to encourage you to care for yourself, security, and well-being. Resources of each episode will be listed in the episode description and on the website shittotalkabout.com. Hey, Darcy. Thank you for joining Shit You Don't Want to Talk About. What shit do you want to talk about today? Hi. Thank you so much for having me on. And today I would like to talk about intersectionality. And for our listeners, this has literally taken us like 10 minutes to figure out how to summarize because Darcy is not like a, like, you know, we are not one dimensional. We are very multidimensional. And it was actually, Darcy was kind enough to talk to me like six months ago when I first started this journey of wanting to launch the podcast and taught me about the word intersectionality because I didn't even know it was a thing. So Darcy, to get us started, what is intersectionality? I went ahead and Googled it just to make sure I gave you guys the right definition. It's the interconnected nature of social categorization, such as race, class, and gender, as they apply to a given individual or a group regarded as creating overlapping and interdependent system of discrimination or disadvantage. And so basically what that means is think about marginalized communities within our society. Um, you know, Black Lives Matter, we, you know, women's rights, uh, LGBTQIA+, um, disabled people, um, Latinos, Muslim. Um, Basically, we tend to look at a person and maybe put them in the one category and just think, okay, well, they're disabled. They maybe go through these things because they're disabled. But in our society, in in all these intersections, so let's, I am non-binary. I am Puerto Rican. I am disabled. And all those things contribute to discrimination in in the society. And so I don't I don't experience them separately. I experience them all together. And so they compound issues like receiving appropriate medical care or being treated respectfully by service people um, if I'm out and need extra help with something or to being discriminated against because of my gender or my um, my my race. I'm Afro-Indigenous, um, but I look white. But still, I still struggle with all the intersections that I live with. And so people who are um, like, are black trans women, black trans women who are disabled have the most amount of intersections and they tend to be the most neglected and most discriminated against. Um, And so it's become very important for me to talk about intersectionality because a lot of people don't understand how much more difficult life can be having multiple aspects of your life put you in these marginalized groups. And thank you for that, because I think that you taught me when we first talked about intersectionality, because I was just at, to our listeners and those watching this, I somehow fell on following Darcy on Instagram. And I just loved the fact that she would post, or they, see, it's going to be a hard, uh, recently... Recently, and I just want to call myself out on this, recently, Darcy changed 
their gender identity. And uh, that is something that as, you know, a human that's not part of that, you know, I'm somebody on the outside, I still need to be respectful and work on, you know, if I say she, to correct myself, because that is being respectful to Darcy. And I just want to call everybody out on that. Because yes, uh, there's going to be times I slip up. There's times that we all do, especially when Mm -hmm. it's somebody that's changing something that we're used to. Mm -hmm. Yet, I really do want to call out that it's, it's also our job to be respectful. So going back to the Instagram, uh, I somehow followed uh, Darcy on Instagram and they were always posting about yoga and MS and, you know, gardening and I had like a gazillion followers and I'm like, who is this person? And I love how like honest Darcy is and it like, seriously, they're like the best at social media too. And I don't know how, like, I'm just in shock. And I was like, you know, I'm just gonna like slide into their DMs and see if they'll be on the show when it's a concept at this point. So it wasn't even like imagined like what it would be called. Right. I I, I remember talk to me. (laughs) Yeah, I love talking to I talk to everybody. Like you hit me up, I'm gonna talk to you. I know I was fangirling because I was like this person's so dope and like open. Like, I just want to talk to them. Like, I just want to be friends. And we found out that we're only uh, a few hours away from each other. So I'm probably going to go down and visit where you're at sometime to hang out. Please do. I love having, I, I love having people over and if I, and I love cooking for my friends too. So I'm down. You said cooking. Like I can't cook. I am. I burn butter. <laughs> Yeah. So, I, I used to be a so I used to be a chef. my first career was as a chef. Like I, I, oh. I got a degree in culinary management, and uh, I worked in kitchens in my t- late teens, all the way through my twenties, part of most of my twenties, and then, um, and then I became a stay-at-home mom, and then I transitioned into fitness uh, after I being diagnosed with MS. Di- being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis was a catapult to me learning how to make my body run better and be healthier, just through movement, nutrition, stress management, um, learning how to manage my chronic pain, um, and then using that information and putting it out there so that other people could learn too. Because when it comes down to it, uh, Google is a clusterfuck. And when you're first diagnosed with a disease as serious as MS, it can be really scary and you're trying to grasp for anything that's going to help. And I figure if my platform can be a place where I could sift out appropriate, real scientific, peer-reviewed information that is actually shown to help you, then then that's what I'm going to do. And so even with my movement, even with the things that I teach through um, yoga, mobility, um, I teach neurological drills that help reduce chronic pain and help increase uh, overall mobility. I teach mobility drills that help reduce chronic pain and help just you be able to function throughout the day and do the things that you need to do to increase your quality of life in spite of suffering with symptoms on a daily basis. Yeah, and that that is so powerful because it's something that even those that don't have MS can really appreciate. I I would let's go into MS a bit more for our listeners that don't know what that is. Can sure. you tell us about multiple sclerosis? 
Yeah, See, so I'm not even saying it right. How do I say it? Multiple sclerosis. So Multiple sclerosis. Uh, sclerosis is scar. Um, and multiples, more than one. But what it is is a demyelination of the central nervous system caused by the immune system attacking the myelin sheath. So the myelin sheath is this nice little fatty padding that we have on some of the nerves in our central nervous system. Some of them don't have that. But the fatty padding helps uh, transmit um um, electrical signals efficiently and when that fatty padding that myelin sheath is eaten away by the immune system it causes scarring causes lesions and those lesions and the inflammation are the reason that we experience the symptoms that we do and so um, any part of the central nervous system can be can can be uh, affected by multiple sclerosis so imagine all the things that your brain your central nervous system controls so my it, everyone has individual symptoms to them too. Uh, so I have friends who are in wheelchairs. I have friends who use walkers. I have friends who have gone legally blind. Um, I have friends who have a difficult time swallowing and talking. Luckily for me, my mobility has remained pretty intact. I have left-sided weakness from a lesion on the right side of my brain. Sometimes I have speech issues from a lesion in the brocus region of my brain. <laughs> and I have lesions on both my optic optic nerves. So I have spots where I can't see very well in both eyes. And then there are, um, so it can affect you on a cellular level that, you can't see in an MRI, so you'll have lesions in certain places, but then overall there's fatigue. There can be tremors, um, t problems being able to regulate your own temperature, um, cog cognition issues where you can't like think of words or you can't remember things, um, or you just have a hard time just be being aware of your surroundings like um it can manifest in a whole variety of ways um and so mine i have i have pain conditions too i have occipital and trigeminal neuralgias and so the trigeminal nerve runs along your face branches out and trigeminal neuralgia feels very stabby very zings of electricity very much like I've been stabbed with something and still in there um, and the occipital nerve runs behind in the occipital area where your vision is um, controlled but the nerve itself innervates the neck and the back of the head and so the pain that I feel there is very much like I got hit in the side of the head um, yeah I know it doesn't sound I have I've luckily found an amazing doctor and the assistant that um, I see for her as well is amazing. And so we have come up with a very appropriate treatment plan that that helps me be able to do the things and be able to take care of my kids and be able to like live a pretty good quality life in spite of suffering with chronic pain. So. Great. Wow. Just wow. Uh, and for our listeners that uh, – so Darcy may reply to something uh, facial expression. So on YouTube, you'll totally be able to see what uh, they're seeing. But if you're listening to us on Spotify or iTunes or something, uh, there may be some pauses that you're like, how did Darcy know that's what uh, Jen was talking about? Oh, yeah. Okay. I need, yeah, I need to be more cognizant of the fact that they might not be able to see what I'm doing. 
It's, no, it's totally cool. I try to let people know so that way they they just realize that where there's movement, uh, not just listening. Um, but so, how old were you when you? Okay, how did you find out that you were you had MS, and how old were you when y- you got diagnosed? Um. So my first symptom was um, I started going blind in my right eye and I had excruciating pain moving the eye. And when everything started going really foggy and hazy and I couldn't move my eye left or right and I started seeing kind of like fireworks when I closed that eye, I went to my primary doctor and um, she was like, well, you need to see an ophthalmologist. I'd never seen an ophthalmologist. I didn't even know what an ophthalmologist was at that time. Um, you need to go right up to the desk. You need to let them know what your symptoms are and they'll see you today. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so I, I was on an army base. So the, the hospital that I I went to had all the departments and I went to the ophthalmologist. I waited, I waited for a little bit and then finally a doctor came out and they were like, okay, we're going to take you right back right now. They ran a few tests, and then he explained to me that I had optic neuritis. There was a demyelination of the nerve. And then he said that it was, it could be the first symptom of MS. And that's when I was referred to a neurologist who did all the tests. And at that point, I didn't have any other lesions. So they didn't diagnose me then. But later that year, so that was July of 2012. Later that year in December... I started having weird, like, my muscles on the left side would seize up a little bit. And then when they released, I would, I couldn't hold my baby. I couldn't hold my phone. I couldn't bear, like, my leg was dragging when I walked. And that's when I told my then husband, I need you to take me to the hospital. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I have MS and I need to have these MRIs. And so I was immediately hospitalized. They gave me MRIs. My doc, my neurologist came in and said, I'm really sorry, but you have MS. And I told him, I'm like, I knew it. Because it's not just the optic neuritis I was dealing with at the time. I was also dealing with the fatigue and I was also dealing with like sensitivity in my face. And like I had all these other symptoms so I knew it wasn't just this isolated isolated incident with my eye. Um, I didn't really know what I was going to be experiencing. Uh, so it was very much like, oh, no, it's all good. I'll figure it out. <laughs> I got this. No worries. So I threw myself into school. I went back to school for health sciences. I got myself a personal training certification through NASM. Um, and then... Um, <laughs> I put myself on treatment. I was injecting myself every day with Copaxin to help modulate my immune system to reduce any progression. Then I started having issues with the injection. It was causing me... um, So with Copaxin, you get an an immediate post-injection reaction, sometimes very rare. But it makes you feel like you're having a heart attack. So I I went... This was about 2015. I went to see my doctor and I said, I don't know if I want to be on any medication right now. I've got a really good diet. Like when it comes to my nutrition, I had found paleo. It was working for me. Um, My MRIs had stayed stable for a few years. So they took me off of meds and I was off of meds for five years and I actually did pretty well. Um, 
I also was in a, a stable relationship. <laughs> I was I was married at the time, um, and we owned a house, and I didn't have to work. I was a stay at home mom, so life was pretty pretty chill. So I ran a few Spartan races, and I ran a marathon, and I got certified to teach um, liquid motion, which is a movement modality that uses sensual movement, but uh, is for pole dancers, but it's also for anyone who wants to get down on the floor, ride around, and feel really hella sexy. <laughs> um, um, uh, sign me up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No joke. Uh, like, I feel like we need to talk about this at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, because one of the one of the things that ended up happening with MS is that um, I developed fibromyalgia, and so fibromyalgia is a sensory disorder that basically our our nerves don't respond the same way, and so we end up with um, all over body pain, fatigue, and. <laughs> Yeah, and you can feel stiff if you don't move enough. And so that's when movement really became important for me because it was going to keep me from from getting even more pain, suffering even more disabling symptoms, movement, even if it was walking, even if it was rotating my finger in a circle and just mindfully making circles with, with these tiny little joints. I was learning, I, I wanted to learn all of it. And so I started implementing that. And when I started seeing benefits, I started, I started, I actually created my own movement modality. I created my own program and it is for people who can't get out of bed and all the way to doing headstands and handstands and, and, and forearm stands and being upside down on a pole and doing crazy shit. Uh, so I, I've and, seen the post and y'all, you have to go f like follow Darcy, like, uh, like Instagram. Yes. But go f uh, follow their TikTok because I have seen and don't understand why they banned your TikTok. I am so sad because there was so much good content there. Um, and so that's a story for another day, but Please go follow Darcy on those. There's, um, I know I don't really talk about going and following people a lot uh, because I don't, on the podcast, I don't necessarily want to talk about the coaching aspect of it. Uh, specifically for Darcy, I do because I've gotten a lot out of it and they don't post just mobility stuff. Like, as I said earlier, Darcy posts like fucking everything like it's just phenomenal like it's just good yeah. content to consume. so on my instagram on my instagram i post I, I try to advocate for the tools that i use to increase my quality of life with chronic disease so i'll post the mobility but i'll also post um, cannabis advocacy um and studies you know i i, I back it up with the science I don't just tell you what my experience is, but I, I show you a wide range of ways that you can utilize cannabis to help uh, reduce chronic pain and uh, reduce fatigue, help with insomnia, um, all, all that jazz. And then I also speak on intersectionality and, you know, um, the, the multiple layers that a person um the, the multiple layers that a person can can have within themselves that can also lead them up to being discriminated against, to having a, to basically live a harder life 
just because they belong to multiple marginalized communities, bringing awareness to that. Um, you know, and I also talk about being single and almost 40 and being disabled, being non-binary, being Puerto Rican, um, and like the challenges and struggles with that. Um, and, and then I like to like highlight people within the community that are also doing amazing things and, and try to put their voices out there so that, that we can all connect with one another. Basically building a nice support system. And, and thank you for that. And one thing that I, I do want to touch base on and something that I'm, for those listening or watching, Darcy has shared a few stories with me. And in the back of my head, I'm like, how do I weave these together? Because they are just like so fascinating as a human. And yet we are never going to, no one can fit their entire story in an hour. Like that is the beauty of humankind is we are so, uh, there's so many different dimensions. Well, we're a complex tapestry of experiences, you know? Yes. We are a masterpiece and a work in progress at the same time. Exactly. Yeah, that is, that is so true. I completely agree with you on that. Um, One thing that you mentioned, and I'm curious about because it's something that we talked about before our interview today was, you mentioned that you were um, married earlier and that your newborn, it sounded like your newborn was right around the time that you got diagnosed with MS. Yes. Has, has it been shown that having children can cause MS or affect it or fast it, make it faster or? Oh, so having babies, it can be, can be uh, something that ends up, causing you to have a major relapse within a few months after having a child. And so I had my first relapse after uh, five months after my third child was born. I have four kids. Um, So when she was, when Sophia was born in 2012, five months later, I got hit with my first set of symptoms. I'm pretty sure that even if I hadn't had her, I would still have developed MS, but I feel like it was like kind of a cat of, um, catalyst to that. Uh, what happens is that our hormones drop so sharply and estrogen is a supportive ho- supporting hormone when it comes to our immune system and inflammation. And um, which is one of the reasons why women tend to have MS more than men. Um, but unfortunately men, when they do get it, they get it, tend to get it more severe than us because they don't have estrogen. Um, and so when our hormones drop really sharply after giving birth, that sets us up to for, for a relapse. And, um, and that's what happened. I ended up with very low vitamin D levels. Um, I had to be prescribed vitamin D and then, um, and then I got sicker, but I had my fourth child in 2018. And because I was implementing certain nutrition, anti-inflammatory foods for my body, uh, stress management, making sure I was moving regularly. I didn't have a relapse after I had Danny in 2018. I was very fortunate. I actually had really easy pregnancy and um, I gave birth naturally in my living room right there. And um, I was walking 
a couple days later and I was doing yoga a couple weeks later and um, it was honestly my best pregnancy but I was really really a stickler to to trying to put in use utilize all the tools at my disposal uh, lately though with the uh, pancetta the pandemonium the pan pandemic it's been, it was a lot more difficult, especially when I had all my kids at home. And so I was drinking a little more. I was eating gluten. And then I was going through a high-conflict divorce last year. And so that's when I had my – I had a major relapse last year. And so I went on Ocrevus. So now I'm on Ocrelizumab. Ocrevus. It is a monoclonal antibody treatment that um, basically annihilates your B cells and makes it so that those cells that are crossing the blood-brain barrier and attacking the myelin sheath, they don't exist anymore. And so twice a year, I go in for about five to six hours and I get an infusion. And so far, that's been really helping. Like I have a reduction in symptoms and my, I feel like they're I'm not progressing right now. So, yes, that's How, where I'm... Um, and on that note, is is MS hereditary? It can be. There are families, there are families with many family members who have MS. I'm the only one in my family who has MS. Okay. But I'm not the only member of my family that has um, an autoimmune disorder. But I honestly feel when it comes to my family, the reason that so many of us have autoimmune issues, like my sister thinks she has lupus. She's getting tested for that. Another sister has issues with her skin. Um, one has cholinergic urticaria, which temperature, like heat, causes like rashes and inflammation. My mom has fibromyalgia and probably another type of inflammatory disease that she's not been tested for, but continues to complain about. Um, <laughs> I feel like the trauma that we experienced having abusive parents, including my mom, my mom's dad, my grandfather, who I love still very much, is an alcoholic and suffered trauma from his, his childhood. And that kind of just it compounded in the rest of us. Like it came out in the rest of us. Um, and so we, me and my sisters especially, had abusive parents. And so um, The Body Keeps the Score is a book that I started I that reading book. that really connected everything book. for me. And it's like, I have complex post-traumatic stress disorder from the abuse that I experienced um, as in my childhood and adolescence and even throughout parts of my adulthood when I was trying to reach out to my parents, but they were continuing to be abusive. Um, and, and then I, I, I read this amazing book and then I was like, Oh wow. No, it wasn't the pop tarts that I was eating when I was like 18 or 19 or, you know, sort of like going to bed too late or waking up too early or not, you know, not getting enough sleep. There wasn't those choices that I made for my body at that time that contributed to that. It was all the trauma that I experienced and the way that my body processed that trauma and the amount of uh, stress hormones I was releasing. And now like my, my, you suffer brain damage from trauma like that you suffer brain damage it's just it, it, the the ms is a symptom of trauma for me 
And and that is so true in so many different people. That is a book that I bring up so very, very often yeah. in uh, an episode that's already aired with patience. I believe it's episode five. We talk about generational trauma. This is something that comes up in multiple episodes in the fact that if we don't work on ourselves to change it for our future generations, it is something that it's not just, you know, abuse to abuse to abuse. It can also show up as medical issues, as, you know, um, high anxiety. There's so much that goes into it. So I love that you mentioned that. It is a domino effect. It really is a domino effect because the, the trauma that you experience early on in your life will, um, will affect the way that you form friendships and relationships and the way that you can do your job and the way that you basically look at your outlook on life, Mm -hmm. um, how you perceive the world, Mm -hmm. how you respond to the world, you know? Um, And because the way that, the way that our brains work, you know, we, we make these neural connections and we deeply ingrain those connections. We strengthen those connections by repeated action, repeated experience, repeated uh, stimuli. If you're going years and years and years suffering trauma, then that's just deeply ingrained, deeply ingrained. You know, I, my dad used to say, trigger, so trigger warning. <laughs> my dad used to call me things like a retard. I'm not worth an opinion. I'm not worth nothing. Oh, you think you're a princess? You're not a princess. You're not royalty. You're nothing. You don't deserve an opinion. Repeatedly for years on end. And so that's all I knew. That's all I knew. The only way for me to get out of that wasn't just talking to myself. It, it was repeatedly, repeatedly, every single day, working on rerouting those connections to something new. That means as often as he told me all that awful stuff, I had to tell myself the opposite. I had to tell okay. myself... I'm worthy of all the good that's available to me in this universe, all the love that is available to me in all this in the universe. My body size does not dictate my worth. My weight does not dictate my, my appearance does not dictate who I am and how much I have to give to others. Repeatedly, repeatedly, every single even if I didn't feel it, I said it because um fake it until you become it. I watched this amazing TED talk and I forgot what her name was, but she it was ten years ago. I remember her talking about how our posture can affect the way that our brain feels when we like Like, do the power poses yes the power poses so having having your arms out next to your hips and making yourself bigger making yourself bigger instead of making yourself smaller not having your arms crossed around you closing yourself off um so i started using the power poses i would tell myself okay arms out arms out don't cross don't cross and even though I wasn't feeling it at the time you're kind of tricking your brain a little bit and so the more that you implement these things the more that you practice them you start rerouting you start rerouting those connections in the past that were that were tied to trauma and our reactions that were tried to that tied to that trauma then become responses that we then choose Agreed. And, and something that I I definitely want to add to that is we've talked about gratitude. We end every episode in what are you grateful for? And I've, I've mentioned in a few episodes that a gratitude journal can really help with changing your mindset and um, affirmations. Like I am something, those are all things that I've done in, 
slowly throughout the years, something that I really do want to mention is, um, and people have probably heard this uh, on the intro episode and also on my trailer. I had uh, a craniotomy done a year ago. I had, you know, I don't have a gallbladder. I don't have, like, I have a shit ton of You had medical things happen. I got medical shit. Yeah. And a lot of growing up, it was uh, solitary confinement, physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse. I was fat. I was ugly. I am worthless. Like, those are all things that I was told. Like, you are the scum of the earth is what I would be told. And it's something that to this day, I still really struggle with. I I can be like good 90% of the time. And there are times where it is really hard for me to not downward spiral and also know and forgive those have that have done harm against me, which can I interject real quick? You don't need yeah. to fucking forgive anybody. You don't. You don't. For your own healing, you don't need to forgive a single person. 100%. 100%. I, I am glad you interjected that. That is something that I would guilt myself for not forgiving. So it was part of my journey. It's not necessarily right. everybody's journey. Right. And the fact that I am now starting to see that my brain surgery actually had me redeal with this trauma to be able to launch the podcast and it made me who I am, which I'm so grateful for. I, I love that you talk about how the trauma causes this shit, because if we catch it early enough, we can really start working on this uh, and start changing our mindset and changing the stigma of who we were to who we want to be. Right. I mean, it's acknowledging like that exists. This trauma exists. Mm-hmm. How did it affect? How did it affect me? How can I heal myself from this? How can I um, rebuild neural connections that are going to help me have healthier coping mechanisms, a healthier uh, outlook on life, and a healthier, uh, healthier self perception self-love, you know, all that. Uh, and it is work. It is years and years. I'll be 40 in January. And I started this journey when I was 19. And my first hospitalization was at 19. I was told I just had anxiety. <laughs> I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. I was diagnosed with uh dysthymia which is like low-level depression and it wasn't actually none of those things not not for me because the more that I real started making the connections back to the trauma and the more that I started working on it and then this past year I did EMDR I've been going through that that shit's just like mind-boggling crazy I love it well and it's really hard Yes, it's not easy, but the, um, I'm sorry, my dog is, my dog is, he's very excited, he wants to go out, but I'm going to leave him alone for now, hopefully he'll he chill, that's him. He just wants to be friends with us. Oh my god, hi baby, oh, he's being cute, um, anyway, um, the, the, the journey, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to let my dog out, I'm sorry, he's being a pest. 
Um, I get it. For those who can see, these are my dogs. These are my dogs. (laughs) All right, let's go outside. I'm sorry about that. Um, Trauma. EMDR. EMDR changed my life, made it so that I can really, really dig in deep to who I am like my authentic self, my genuine self, my, my me Mm -hmm. and, and, and accept it and embrace it and embrace Darcy. Uh, that was a name that it it held so many negative connotations for me. Um, it's the name my dad gave me. It's the, it's been used against me so often. And then feeling like I am both male and female and, uh, sometimes not. And sometimes, yes, sometimes I'm more of a dude, sometimes more, uh, more femme. Uh, I wanted, I wanted to start living like that and not be ashamed of it. Cause I was taught like your girl, you need to be thin and curvy, long hair. You need to make sure your nails look good. I got weighed at the dinner table. Oh, yeah, my dad used to weigh me. My mom would give me diet pills in in my teens. Um, All to look feminine and be soft and have features. But I love being strong. I love being strong and I love having broad shoulders and I love having masculine features. I really actually do. And when I started letting go of all that, um, that from, from my parents and from my childhood, I started realizing, like, my true self encompasses so much more mm-hmm. than what I was being forced to be. And with EMDR, I was able to make new neural connections, which is one of the things EMDR helps you do. Attach, um, it basically made the trauma less stifling and the triggers less intense the emotional flashbacks easier to handle um and with that i i've been able i've been able to realize my worth and so i ended my relationship with my ex-boyfriend my partner of five years this year because i realized i was trauma bond to him bonded to him i i bonded to him out of fear of abandonment fear of being alone feeling like I wasn't worth being with somebody who was going to treat me the way that I deserve to be treated. And um, I actually, it's so funny because I used to go to therapy every week and my, my therapist, Tanya, uh, would congratulate me on a, on a small step forward. Oh, I'm glad you realized that. This is fantastic. You know, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I woke up this morning and I told, I told my ex, like, oh, you're stepping on my boundary. And at the time, he wasn't my ex. Um, and she'd be like, I'm, I'm really happy. I'm, and I'm like, oh, I graduated therapy. Now, I'm just kidding. I didn't graduate therapy. But last month, the last time I saw her, I had already gone a few months just updating her on the things that happened and how I dealt with them. And they're healthy. They're, they're for me... I see things differently. I see life. Life became different. It became joyful. I started focusing on the things that I am grateful for. 
And in spite of having done like things online where I ask people, post something you're grateful for every single day for 30 days and write a streak for MS, gratitude for MS, things like that. Um, I still wasn't, it wasn't infused within me. I wasn't really living it until this year, until EMDR, until really like digging deep in therapy, doing the work, reading, not just reading the books, but implementing the things that the books are telling me to do every single day, every single day, every moment I have to, to use a healthy coping mechanism. I try my best. And then the times that I fail, I've learned to give myself compassion and And that is so hard. And I, it's hard to learn. Uh, I have found at least for myself, it's gotten a lot easier to give myself compassion And one thing that I definitely want to go back and circle on with gender identity of it's a different path for each of us. So I, the reason I mentioned that is I grew up, I am an only child and my dad always wanted a boy. Like that's all he wanted. He just wanted me to be a boy. Like I would have to go do stuff in the shop. I would have to go move everything. I would have to go do like car stuff or like, you know, anything feminine. He didn't want me to do. And so until probably the last few years, I was too scared to really wear dresses, to wear anything sexy, to, um, like there was a lot of it where I was afraid to be too girly and I absolutely love being a woman and girly. And that was something that I, at the same time, I also love working on stuff. Like I love refurnishing furniture. I want to learn how to like, my dream is to buy a house and rebuild it myself and learn how to do all of that. Like, yes, that is part of me yet. It doesn't mean that for myself, yeah. That doesn't mean that I am changing my gender identity. Right. It doesn't, doesn't take away uh, who right. you see yourself as and how you want to be perceived. Um, and, and, you know, the sad thing is in this society, they're like women. That's not associated with being able to change the light fixture, which all the light fixtures in my house, I changed. <laughs> that's not... That's- That's so important because just because I identify as a woman doesn't mean I need to force other people to go into male or female. Like just as I was saying earlier, like we as other people that are cisgender need to be more gracious to individuals around us that are not the same, such as you were talking about uh, different minorities and intersectionality, that is something that as a cisgender human, we need to be more open because... Well, cisgender, cis-hetero, white, that in itself is like the the trifecta of of privilege. And I, I, I hate that, yet... That's why I'm starting this podcast and doing this podcast, because if I have all these inherent privileges, why the fuck am I not using them for good? Like, why am I not like giving other people a platform to share their story, to show that, you know, even though there could be incredibly different than me, 
we all have different short stories to share. And really, like, I love the fact of how you learned and felt that you, you're some days you feel more masculine and some days you feel more feminine and changing your name to something that it associates good for you and associates, you know, good vibes right. and good feelings. Cause yes. that means you'll show up how you're meant to show up to others. Like, well, it I'm, doesn't... I'm honoring myself. Exactly. First of all. And, um, the other day, I, 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 so I also advocate for the legalization of psilocybin when it comes, especially for treating uh, complex post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, anxiety, um, and chronic pain, because the science is there. The studies are showing how effective it can be if utilized properly. And so I utilized some of it this weekend. And the thing that I came across that, that hit me the most during my journey with it was you need to stop doing yourself dirty. And you need to try to practice self-care in the ways that are accessible and available to you on a daily basis. Fill your cups so it runneth over. I am full of myself. Therefore, I have enough to give to others. So that, that I feel is like the most important thing that you can do. If you want to be kinder to others, if you want to be more generous, if you want to be just a better overall person, instead of focusing on what you can do for other people, pour that shit into yourself first. Pour that shit into yourself first. Give yourself all the love. Give yourself, give yourself all the love that you didn't receive throughout your childhood, throughout your adolescence or adulthood, even adulthood. Mm-hmm. Provide you for you first. And it's not being selfish and it's not being narcissistic. It's honestly the best thing that you can do for the people around you. A hundred percent. And on so much of that, and I can see how your journey with MS has also done that. And something uh, that I found is I've had to cancel, I do about three to five episodes uh, to record per week. And there are days where in my life, I can't imagine doing an episode because I am so drained, Right. either emotionally, physically, like there's times where I will can't keep my eyes open halfway through the day and it doesn't matter my sleep or anything like it's just something that happens and I used to fight it or feel guilty and I know with us I've had a reschedule you've had a reschedule like we are not robots honey we are not meant to just go 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 whenever we uh are expected to we are not robots no, um, and not. we need to allow ourselves grace on those days that we have to tell people, I'm sorry, but it's not going to happen today. Let's reschedule. Uh, you will never, ever, ever hear me have an issue with rescheduling because I have to do it all the time too. There are times I wake up and I really can't speak very well or I know the last time I think the last time, oh, I was sick. But then the problem is if I have a virus, like a cold, all my MS symptoms are happening. And so mm. it wasn't going to happen. That's but awesome. beating ourselves up for that mm-hmm. is counterintuitive to our journey of healing. And it's counterintuitive to self-care and self-love. 
Um, because if somebody around us was sick, what would we do? Yeah. Allow them space, allow them grace, allow them compassion, give them, give them the things that they need to help heal them and help them feel better. Why don't we do that to ourselves? Why don't we extend that to ourselves? Agreed. And something that I do want to touch base on, and you mentioned it a little earlier with, uh, while working with your therapist, you would see how you would work with boundaries and in your own relationships. And something that we've talked about beforehand was that you uh, are poly. And it's something that I, how has you grown? Like, I know MS has definitely affected it. And yeah. I would love to hear your, your insights there, as well as how you've been working, especially in this last year, working on yourself has affected your relationships and what that looks like. Well, uh, I, <laughs> I divorced my husband. My The divorce went through in February that we were separated for over a year. Uh, I asked for that because he was not treating me right. And he went a while not treating me right. So it was very apparent he wanted to divorce me but didn't want to say it. Um, so I did take that step forward. But with my ex-partner, and we were in a poly relationship, but it was very unbalanced they would gang up on me regularly. And because I hadn't done the work yet when it came to my own healing, I felt this is this is it. This is what I'm stuck with. I have to settle. No one else is going to love me. I'm, if I leave these relationships, I'm going to be alone. So I, I, I hit a wall with my ex-husband and I was done. He moved out. So I was like, okay, me and my boyfriend, we're together. We're working on things. We're going to therapy. But at the end of the day, when when the boundaries aren't being respected, when it's clear that the work isn't being matched, he's not matching my energy. He's not matching my goals. He's not matching my values. And I feel degraded in this relationship. And I start coming out of the fog because of therapy. And I start seeing things clearly for what they really are. And the truth is the truth regardless, which is what Tanya would tell me. The truth is the truth regardless. And it's like, oh, well, this is the truth. This is the truth. This is the truth. He doesn't respect my boundaries. He doesn't give me the kind of love that I really wish that I, he was giving me. He's not even taking care of himself. He's allowing his own mental issues to affect the way that he cares for himself. And if he's not taking care of himself, how am I expecting for him to help take care of me? Mm-hmm. And so I put it into the relationship, to the, to the relationship in June. At the end of June, I said, you know, we both can live together. We both can cohabit and co-parent very well. Like we take care of our children so well. And, um, but trying to, the expectations for one another weren't matching. And he wanted way more from me than he was willing to give to back. And, um, and I said, so I don't want to be in this romantic relationship 
it's just not satisfying. So we we separated in that regard, but we still live together. Um, and there are days where it's difficult because he's still in the process. He's still like deep in the process. He's still not even fully aware of th- certain things that he needs to work on. He's not even aware of it. And he's still in this denial phase where he doesn't really want to listen to the criticism. And so I can't push him to do that for himself. Um, So I'm just hoping that he continues going to therapy and he finds that out on his own. Um, But in the meantime, I'm free. (laughs) I'm free to be happy. I'm free to be feel healed, which I do. I never thought that I would get here do I still have emotional flashbacks and I get triggered yes but the difference is is that before I used to feel I didn't have control over it it was a tsunami that was inundating me and I couldn't breathe a fucking glass cage of emotions that I couldn't break out of and now these emotional flashbacks are just glimpses of what I experienced in the past that no longer affect me as as severely as they used to and I have control I have control. What is my response going to be? What are the things that I can do to help me get through this moment of of this trigger so that then I can be present again for myself and my children and anyone else around me? That's That was the most important thing. And so, um, I'm sorry, my dogs are barking. <laughs> it's okay. Like, you know, these these episodes aren't going to be perfect. And, right. you know, it's it's definitely about getting the content out right. instead of, you know, going for perfection. Yeah, I have, my life is kind of crazy. I'm surprised that my 12-year-old hasn't come upstairs to, like, ask me for something. Because she, she goes to online school. Um, but then I have three other kids in, in three other schools. So... That is crazy. Like, I just feel like I don't have children. So it's also really hard for me to imagine like how much parents have to put into it. And to to just name a few of the things, just recapping. So you're a mother, you have MS. Fibromyalgia. Fibromyalgia. Yeah. Fibromyalgia. <laughs> um, you know, you uh, just came out and, uh, changed your gender identity um you have relationships and you're poly you know there's you're also just a human altogether. i'm also puerto show rican up. i'm afro indigenous puerto rican yeah we haven't talked about that one yet though like oh you yeah dig into okay. that yeah. One a little bit more share so your like i am yeah no my both my parents came from the island they they actually didn't move to the states until they were adults like and my my Dad joined the, the Air Force for a better life, and they got married. My mom was 21 when she had me, and they, they didn't speak English. The first language I learned was Spanish, and all our friends were Mexican because my my parents didn't speak English, you know? So um, my, my identity is very centered around being a proud Latinx uh, individual. I'm very, very proud of being Puerto Rican. Um... I advocate for Afro-Indigenous rights because, and, and, and being Afro-Indigenous, a lot of, uh, it's unfortunate there is colorism within my community that makes it so that like my dark mother was discriminated against by Puerto Ricans who were lighter skinned. And I actually learned in the past few years, I have white privilege because I look white. 
So I was just about to ask that. So for our listeners, what is Afro-Indigenous? And can you explain that really quick? Sure. Um, So a lot of... a lot of the Caribbean was settled by colonizers and they brought African slaves to the islands. Well, the people that were there before the colonizers showed up were Tainos. They were natives. And present day, we are an amalgamation of all that. We are an amalgamation of the colonizers. So I did my DNA. Uh, I I did my 23andMe or something. um, And I have Iberian DNA from Spain and Portugal and Italy and the Moors, uh, but I also have native DNA from the Tainos, and then I have African DNA from the slaves that were brought to the island. We are a mezcla, we are a mix, and we, we, we look all different, all different shades. We, even within my own family, my mom is dark, my sister is dark, my mom's side of the family, you see a lot of the Afro-Indigenous uh, but my dad's side is a little more uh, Spaniard-looking. Even there's even Irish, um, and so that's where the lighter skin comes from. But it doesn't make us any less Afro-Indigenous. I could be sitting next to my sister. We both share the same DNA, but she very clearly looks like she's Afro-Indigenous. She very clearly, and so I know for her, she experiences life differently than I do. Because uh, she doesn't have to say anything. She's going to be immediately discriminated. And I've seen it. I see racism towards my mom and my and my, my sister. It's not until I open my mouth <laughs> and I say that I'm Puerto Rican that suddenly then I receive the discrimination. How hmm. does that show up when, um, because I can only imagine that you say that you're Puerto Rican or, you know, you say that you're white or not white, like you're, you're just lighter skinned. And do people dismiss that when you say it, like they don't believe you or they question it or like they really dismiss you trying to like showcase and be proud of your, your background? Um, luckily I really haven't, I haven't experienced anyone dismissing me. Just very curious. Like, oh, I didn't know, I didn't know that existed. I didn't know that, 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 um, um, oh my God, the words fell out of my head. I'm so sorry. Uh, but a lot of people were just like, I didn't know that, that, that was a thing. I didn't, my mom, when I brought up the fact that my, when I was started dating my boyfriend, started becoming Polly, I said, oh yeah, he's Afro-Indigenous. He's Afro-Latino. What does that mean? And I was like, that's us. <laughs> There's clearly African DNA in our blood. And he is very dark skinned. He's black. He considers himself, he says he's black. And, uh, but our DNA is actually pretty similar. We're off by a couple percentages in, in each. And that's it. But his, his darker skin, that's what shows, you know, and, um, Acknowledging, acknowledging that that is representative of our DNA for her was like eye opening. Like what? Because we're unfortunately, even within our community, the colorism, the white is better. Trying to blend in is better. Using the white privilege, not acknowledging that you're Latino. My bio, my biological father changed his name from Jorge to George, changed his spelling and everything. 
trying to sound white. Um, and at the end of the day, I code switch too. That's the thing. Um, changing the way that I speak to appease the white listener. So I don't sound like this normally. Um, really quick. Uh, and two things that I do really, really want to mention, especially because you mentioned code switching. Right now, Darcy is, is we're putting as me asking, as everyone asking, uh, you know, about MS, about all of these different experiences, that us asking Darcy about this is putting an intellectual burden on Darcy. And some I'm people are open. To- <laughs> I'm using up the spoons. Like some people are used to it. Like some people yeah. really want to this share it work. and change our, you know, the way we ask about it, and they want to educate others. That is not all people. And uh, yeah, I, I want to though. I want to educate, yes. but it's yes. work. It is work, and I really, really want to acknowledge this because Darcy is wants to educate people. Not yeah. all people do. And when we ask people that don't want to do it and we get upset, that is a clear sign of white privilege. Yes. The reason I really, really, really want to call this out is because you mentioned code switching. Mm-hmm. And this is something that is is very, very in the Latino and black communities and right. um and like basically anybody that's not white because they have to remove their slang. They have to, because the white literacy is judged on education based on the language that they use, which is bullshit because there are people that are way smarter than I am. And so they use slang. Why is that devaluing their, their intellectual capability? And it's called code switching. Yeah, I mean, sorry. Well, no, no, that's okay. So you know, we're talking about intersectional inter- intersectionality. Um, intersectionality is basically the other, the other, you know, the 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 outsiders, the the not the norm, and the norm is expected to be speaking very plainly, very white, maybe even having a twang. Because if you're southern, then that's okay too. Um, but taking away anything that might sound ghetto, quote, quote, uh, because the moment that you start speaking in a way that highlights the fact that you are not white, suddenly your intelligence is questioned. And who you are as a person, what you have to contribute is questioned. And so, yeah, me speaking to you right now, I'm using the spoons. So that way the listeners can not judge me. Because I have been judged, and um, I, hate that. I it's okay. I, hate I mean, it's it's not okay because this it's is it's why not okay. But for me, I have fortified myself. I am resilient, and so instead of getting upset about it, I educate, and I let them know, like I have experience. I have, I have a breadth of knowledge that goes beyond the way that I sound. And so, but, but knowing, knowing that the image I portray, the way that I express myself, the way that I communicate at the end of the day is going to dictate how many people are going to listen to what I have to say. That's, that's going to influence the way that I sound. 
because <laughs> I'm like I'll it's get getting it from, me to tear up right now. It's okay. I get it, it from it, both sides too, though. I because, do too. Uh, because girl, I look white. If I started sounding the way that I actually do, people go like, mm, "You shouldn't be sounding like that." And I'm just like, "But this is who I am. This is how I was raised. I have an accent." I have I actually have a Latin accent. I have a Spanish accent. Uh, I was raised in some really rough parts. And so, like, I do have certain mannerisms and ways of speaking that isn't, quote, quote, white, white privileged. Um, I love how I sound normally. I love when I am with people that see my core self and I surround myself with people who know that that does not detract from who I am it just adds to my flavor it adds to the seasoning of who I am as a person would you be opening to switch back now that uh we have like first off do you have time to say a little I have a few minutes okay we have about 10 15 minutes left and for the rest of this episode please talk like you because I wish like I normally do (laughs) yeah because like why like I I want this podcast to represent who people really are. Yes, we may have to ask questions to how we got there. Yeah. But I don't... People people in general, especially those of white privilege, really need to learn that we shouldn't require code switching. And there's a great YouTube video, which I will tag in here once I re-look it up, that talks about code switching and the the need to do so to put off the image so society accepts you and it breaks my heart. So for the the rest of this episode, please just sound be like yourself. Me. Just sound yeah, like be. like I sound okay. However that shows up. Okay. That's- but uh, I do want to ask, and this is the the last question before we close up. Um, how has working on yourself shown up for your kids? Oh my God. I, I honestly, my kids, my kids will never have to worry about uh, the things that I had to worry about. Like they don't, they don't sit there and they're not like, Oh my God, I, I can't eat this because I'm going to get fat or, Oh, I don't like the way that I look because blah, 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 blah. I hate myself. I've never heard any one of my kids say I hate myself. I'm so happy with the fact that I, trying to, um, demolish the cyclical traumatic like um generational trauma that we have experienced i have demolished that shit i have annihilated it from this house so that they can then learn better emotional regulation they can learn healthy coping mechanisms when they're stressed when even they got triggers even though they haven't you know they're still kids but kids still have triggers kids still have things that can set them off and make them feel unsafe but i've given them i've given them a space to feel safe i've given them a sanctuary i've given them the ability to be little individuals with voices who can advocate for themselves um, they, they have resiliency that I didn't have at that age, but they have two people, you know, in spite of my ex and, and I having differences and even my ex-husband, that all three of us are constantly working on ensuring that my little people do not have to experience the shit that I did when I was younger or that they, my exes had to experience cause they have trauma too. 
And so when I see them growing up, even my 18-year-old, my 18-year-old is doing things that I didn't do when I was 18. When I was 18, I was kicked out. I was homeless. And so I was just working and partying. This boy came out as trans a few years ago. He's now got himself into choirs at different churches. He's going to go to Western University. He's going to teach music uh, music education. Like he's, he knows where he wants. He has his passions. He's not flailing about in life. And I, that is the because I have given him a solid foundation from which to build on because I built that within myself. And That's so powerful. the hope is that we just continue on this journey and that the ch- my children will continue to benefit so that they'll be able to stand up for themselves. They'll be able to cultivate self-love. And within that cultivation of self-love, they can then extend that to others and be kind, be compassionate. So... I hope that answered your question. It is. It's a ripple effect, and I love that yes. you do that with your children. I, I, I look at it like a spider web because it just spreads and it connects and connects and builds and strengthens, and then it turns into communities, communities okay. doing, like spreading it out. And so, like, my social media community, like, that's what I intend. That's my intention for what I do is – what the information I give, what I put out there for myself, I want that to help you better yourself so that you can then transfer that up to others, spread it to others. All the warm fuzzies because you did help in the fact that you were one of the first people I reached out to <laughs> and you believed in the podcast and yes. that it actually like happened. But yeah. Uh, before we like you know super close it up is there anything that you wanted to cover that we didn't cover oh no i think that we we delved in deep and uh <laughs> very all connected and intersectionality all- i feel i feel like we really showed it yeah yeah so i mean maybe just bringing up like if you really want to educate yourself there are amazing resources uh with intersectionality just looking up kimberly crenshaw like she's the creator she's the one that really speaks out her videos are amazing she's also on social media um but at the end of the day it's awareness bringing about awareness then acknowledging that that exists and then working on the issues that uh, pertain to that and for our listeners just i mean first off follow darcy because they do give off a lot of really good content and i will link uh what was their name again so i know to put it in the kimberly show Crenshaw. okay kimberly Crenshaw. kimberly Crenshaw. yeah i will be linking those in the show descriptions as well also feel free to tweet me and, you know, comment and ask questions. And, you know, like that's what the show is here to do is to be that one that asks those questions that, you know, is really hard to right. answer and share those. I have one more thing. I have one yes. more thing to add. Follow creators online that make you feel uncomfortable because they speak the truth. So people like Modern Warrior, who is native to Denver, uh, he's he's a na- he's a Native American, and he's a huge advocate for the Native community. Um, Modern Warrior, uh, there are Black creators. Portia Portia Noir is another one. Um, Melanated is another one. 
Um, then we got Crutches and Spice, who is intersectional female with disabilities and black. And she speaks on that. She's a communications major. So she's able to deconstruct um, the, the experience in a way that helps us uh, learn and really like take it in. Um, but yeah, find, find creators online, find, find content, um, creators that on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, that TikTok is huge. 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 Uh, Chelsea Hart is me. Chelsea Hart is white, but she lifts up indigenous, black, Muslim, all the marginalized voices. And so, um, finding people and if they make you feel uncomfortable then you definitely need to be listening and and analyze why it's making me feel uncomfortable and a, a big thing for me that I have found is is it feeling uncomfortable because it's cringy and like putting other people down or is it uncomfortable because I don't know how to accept the information and or is highlighting some internalized either misogyny yes. or ra- yes. internalized racism, internalized racial biases, biases. All of that. Yeah, um, yeah. Because at the end of the day, like being just being in a society that has systematic racism, that has uh, misogyny and patriarchy, like we are going to have that just built within us. It's a thread that runs in us that we need to identify and then pull that sucker right out and then start working on rebuilding. Yep. And having self-compassion when you see it, yes. see it, work on it, change it. If you feel yeah, like don't, don't feel you guilty. Do. Don't beat yourself up about it. We don't need you to feel oppressed. <laughs> Yes. This whole, um, you know, white people who want to be oppressed, they want to feel oppressed. Um, white women tears. Oh God, colonizer tears. Um, if y'all could just see my face, like, <laughs> um, like it ain't about you, okay? Yeah. Yes, you've had a hard life, but let me tell you, your life is a lot harder with the more intersections that you have. And it is the type of thing that, and I just want to call myself out for it, that I have cried in the fact of, I don't know what to do with all this information. I have felt really guilty. I have quote unquote felt um, reverse racism. I say that in air quotes for those can't listen because it's bullshit. Yeah, um, reverse racism doesn't exist, guys. It doesn't. Like, it doesn't. You need you need to have a system of oppression underlying it to be called racism because at the end of the day, it's discrimination if it's towards the group of people that actually hold the power. A hundred percent. And I feel like we could talk for days yeah, and I'm forever. loving these conversations and they are shit that, you know, no one wants to talk about, but right. you as an individual, like, no one wants to talk about these things, but they are shit to talk about. These it's are shit that you such, need to talk about. Such important conversations that need to be had. Right. And to leave our audience on a high note, what is some words of encouragement or, you know, something that you want to leave our audience with? We all start somewhere. We all start somewhere. And sometimes we start and then we we keep going and then we have to stop and then we have to restart. And that's normal and that's okay. So when it comes to your journey of healing, self-love, even if you're like even working out, movement or spirituality, anything that you want to do, 
and you want to better yourself at, it's okay to start. It's okay to be a beginner. It's okay to stumble. It's okay to um, take longer than others. But as long as you give yourself grace and compassion throughout this journey, you're going to head in the direction that that will increase your quality of life and then help you be a better person for yourself and for others. 100%. And thank you. And very last, what are you grateful for, Darcy? What am I grateful for? Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. I I live in a in a place of gratitude constantly because I have the most beautiful children, the most cutest pets. I'm grateful for the fact that I can live in, in this house and that I have the ability to sleep on a comfortable bed. I'm grateful for the clothes that I'm I'm able to wear, and I'm grateful for the fact that I can express myself uh, it, authentically and actually receive pretty much like 95% positive response from it. So, uh, so many things to be grateful for, but those are definitely the ones that first that come up. Thank you. And I'm grateful for talking about intersectionality because we went through some deep shit today that is the entire reason this podcast was created. And it's shit that I have a hard time talking about. Right. But, uh, there's going to be a future episode where I have to talk about sex. I'm I love talking about sex. You get me on I that, and I, could, I, I will. I, I'll do the show for you. I love talking about sex. I don't want to. Yeah, that's like super outside of my comfort zone, and something I I love about, and so grateful that there's so many different cultures that can be sexual and you know live in their their truth and feel everything especially the matriarchal ones you look at matriarchal societies especially in asia and and, in certain parts of africa um and they're female run and um they're sexually more free they can have as many partners as they want they can choose whoever they want to be with they're not tied by marriage and the nuclear families created the aunts and the uncles and the grandparents. They're the ones that help run the family. And so they're all tied like that. But it's the matriarchs that that lead that just it's the women that get to decide. And so um, looking at the differences between uh, this Christian patriarchal way of, of looking at uh, being a female, you have to be prude, and then you, you can't have sex till you're married, and blah, blah, blah. We could talk about this all day, but it's such... We'll have you on the show again. It's just going to happen at some point. Yeah, and- I, oh, I, was, I, I, I am a very sexually free person. I wanted to be a sexual therapist when I was really young. Like, when I was graduating high school, I was going to go to school for that. And so I immersed myself. I, I love sex. I love everything that sex sex can do for a person their mental spiritual and emotional health uh, um for our <laughs> listeners i'm giving darcy a lot of really funny faces yeah, because yeah, this yeah. is shit i need to talk about and get yeah. through in my own personal yeah. life and i'm so not looking forward to it but that's why i'm going to therapy and all yeah. that so we do need to close off today and thank you darcy for everything and can't wait to have you on the show again Thank you for having me. I I appreciate it. Okay. Uh, That was the end of the show. Sweet. Thank you. You're Um, welcome. Food for thought, things you liked, didn't like, any feedback? 
Oh, no, it was great. Like, I think that it flowed really well. We definitely touched on a lot, but it all connected really well and went in one into the other. Um, I like the questions that you had. And um, I like you infusing your own experience and, and your feelings about certain things. And I really appreciated the, the code switching thing because it very is automatic to me now. I see a white person and, and somebody that I don't really talk to regularly. Uh, and you're, you're going to get white me. <laughs> that makes me like, I'm so glad we talked about it. I wish I realized that early on no, because I would have had to do the entire episode that way. Um, because I want people to be the true them, right. not have to code switch. Well, but is, I don't want to be. It is the true me though. The part it of is, it, it is. it is kind of it already is. just it, you know? And so, yeah. um, it, it, I, it's going to be a little jarring for me, honestly, because I'm not used to hearing myself speak like that on like podcasts or even my videos. I know if you look at my tutorials, okay. I'm very like, and then you put your arm out here and then, you know, not like put the motherfucking arm out there and then you're going to just turn it into circles. And, and, and I see that in myself in the fact that like, if I'm around someone like you, I will like fire up my feistiness because this is shit that really matters to me where when it's somebody that is very mellow and timid and like I did an interview earlier today about um, parenting and it's a coach that helps parents through teenage years and that kind of stuff. And she would say, even those with white privilege and even those like, you know, that feel like they haven't gone through a lot. And I'm like, it's not going to be the time and place to argue about it. You're right. Yet, um, it's definitely something that I'm passionate about. And I love that we were able to talk about all these items. Like, dude, I just want to be friends with you. And you're actually We are friends. We, what the fuck are okay. you talking about, girl? Like, we are yeah. friends. Uh, you can hit me up anytime. Make it sure that you can see my face. You can hit me up anytime. Like, um... You're just like, actually, like a cool individual. Really? Like, like you're a cool human. Like I love what you bring into the world. Thank you. I yeah. I I never want set on I never set on this path to be like cool or seen be seen that way. Um but is for me, especially having teenagers being cooler than my 18-year-old warms the goggles with my heart. <laughs> just, yeah, like I feel like when and just for definition too cool to me also means real and you are being your true self i'm just grabbing my shoes real quick while we're you're talking. good you're good um last thing that i wanted to ask you was is there anyone that you think would benefit uh the show would benefit from having on the show that you could yeah. introduce me to oh my god okay um i have a list Think of it like, you know, if you could do email intros, Instagram intros, I don't care. I just, um, I do two episodes I just send a you week. a list. Can I, DM, okay. can I DM you on Instagram and just send yeah. you all the profiles? Um, yeah. Are they people that actually reply? Yeah. Um, okay. So I will hit them up first and let them know that I suggested them for this podcast. Um, but people like, so Randy Patrick, it runs um, this wonderful MS group that helps thousands, thousands, like tens of thousands of people. He would be amazing to have on. Um, Bitchy Hippie Adriana Knoll. Uh, she...